Hey, this is Devon Shepard, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast. This is episode 60, and today's episode features an interview with writer-producer Devon Shepard. Devon Shepard is uh, a very accomplished TV writer in Hollywood. He's written everything from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air through Mad TV, Weeds, Everybody Hates Chris, and tons of stuff in between. And he's got lots of great stories to share. He's actually written in several different genres, including um, your, your straight-up comedy, sketch comedy, and more uh, dramatic shows as well. And so you're going to love his interview. We're going to get to that in a second. I did want to mention that this is actually episode 60 of the podcast. There have been 60 of these video podcasts, and if you're thankful for them, I would invite you to please consider a donation to my upcoming move to Los Angeles. Um, uh, one really cool thing is that there's reward levels. Uh, if you want, you can advertise your product or even yourself your Twitter handle, your Kickstarter campaign for as little as $50. There's script consultations and lots more will be added along the way. Um, and also, I do want to mention, once I do get to LA, how cool would it be to actually go behind the scenes and have in-person video interviews at the major studios? Look into the writer's rooms. Help me get there and that will come. Go to tvwriterpodcast.com and click on the support link at the top to find out more about how you can help. But right now, on to my interview with Devon Shepard. Enjoy. This is Gray and I'm here with writer-producer Devon Shepard. How are you doing, Devon? Good, man. How you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks. I appreciate you taking the time. Sure. I know you've got some exciting, exciting stuff that you're working on and have worked on over the, for quite a number of years, and I, I just can't wait to hear your story. And I know particularly um, the first IMDb credit you have is The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and I'm okay. gonna, I know I just love that show. And so I want to hear... When uh, did you get the writing bug? Where did you grow up? And how did it get to that point where you're writing on really a mega hit show like that? It was crazy. I'm a little bit of, um, you know, growing up in South Central, you know, there was all the trappings of sports and all that. And I did all of those things and, and whatever. But I, I had a weird fascination with television at a very early age. Uh, and it started with, I had to probably be seven, eight years old, started believing that with all in the family. Mm, and yeah. uh, I had a, uh, I didn't really understand the material, but what was fascinating to me was how people can write something and new. So how did writers can write that material and know people laugh at that point? It was like magic to me. Like, how do you know that? And I remember used to look behind the TV and all kind of crazy stuff, trying to, <laughs> trying to get to that world and figure it out. Yeah. And it just become a, a weird obsession for me. And so I kind of, like most kids, I, I kind of pushed that real dream down and try to do what my parents wanted me to be, which was an engineer. Mm -hmm. And I ended up graduating, going to California Northridge for an engineering degree. And I was sitting in my statistics class in my sophomore year, and I was just bored as hell. I just, I just got up and walked out and said, "I'm, I'm done with this." And I wow. went up to my uh, counselor and changed my major to television, film, and production. Wow. And I never told my parents. Oh, no. <laughs> so they didn't find out the graduation. 
And, uh, you know, they said, the engineer students, you know, you know, stand. And I didn't get up. My oh, dad my was goodness. looking like, what? Why aren't you standing? Why aren't you sitting with the rest of the kids? Like, what the hell's going on? So when radio television film was announced, and I stood up, and I looked at him, gave him a thumbs up. He just shook his head like, oh, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, so so that's, that's where it started. I graduated. I bumped around for a little bit. And my story is unique in terms of how I got in. I was an out-of-work PA at the time. Mm-hmm. I had just graduated working with Dennis Miller's show. He had on uh, Channel 5 at the time. It was canceled. I had no work, and I was also struggling stand-up. So what I would do is I would go to my best friend, had a barber shop on 43rd and Crenshaw mm-hmm. in the hood. I would go, and I would sit over there and crack dopes on people who sat in a chair working on my material because the Kanyak Theater was right around the corner. So I would work on my material and then walk around the corner and go do 15 minutes. And uh, one day, Rob Edwards, who... uh in the, the Princess and the Frog, he wrote that. A uh, guy named Denny Richburg, uh, who's a writer producer as well, and uh, Kenny Snyder, who happened to be Will Smith's cousin, came mm-hmm. into the barbershop. Wow. And Rob was Rob was just sort of this kind of square guy from from Syracuse, New York. And you know, I, you know, he had the the button ups and the, the sweater and the penny loafers, and I laid it to his ass something terrible that day. Uh-huh. And he loved it and thought I was funny and said, you should come right for my show. And at the time, the show was, uh, my first show was Out All Night mm-hmm. with Patty LaBelle and Morris Chestnut and those guys. So he told me to come on and uh, learn writing. And uh, I didn't want to do it. So I said no. Really? And uh, yeah, I said no because I didn't understand it. I was like, I want to be a stand-up. I want to be a director. I want to do all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, hey, man, there's a thousand stand-ups. And then at this particular time, we're talking about 91, 92, he was like, it's not a lot of black writers. Right. So he was like, you know, you can carve out your niche without a whole lot of competition. Mm. And I thought about it, and I said, okay. And the funny part, he said, write a spec script. And send it to me. And I didn't know what a spec script was. <laughs> so he said it's just a, he said it's a sample of your right. So I just went home and I just wrote three scenes from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, three random scenes that had no connection to nothing, just three random scenes. Uh-huh. And I said, "Was well, a sample of my right?" You know. <laughs> wow. And I gave it to Rob, and he said, "This is not where this spec script is." But he said, just based on how I wrote my scenes and stuff, he. Under, he knew I understood structure and storytelling and how to set up a joke and pay it off. Uh-huh. And so they invited me to come be a writer's trainee over at um, Out All Night, and that's how it started. So I did Out All Night, and then I went from Out All Night to Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and then I've been working 23 years since then. Wow, you're right. That is unconventional. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's bizarre. <laughs> wow. <God>. So, <laughs> so my goodness, I mean, I mean, you're starting out Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I mean, you worked with the Wayans Brothers, and, and you did Mad yeah. TV, Cedric the Entertainer. I mean, you worked on some crazy shows. Uh, tell, tell me yeah. about maybe just some of, the, some of the signposts along the way, so, some of the things that you learned and, and, uh, and experiences along the way. I learned a lot of interesting things along the way. And the one that, that, that sticks out to me the most is a lot of people don't have the great work ethic. Mm. And that was the thing that stuck out to me. You know, because it's like people, and I was, I, and I, I only learned it because I was so happy to get in. And the way I got in, look, I was plucked out of a barbershop on Fred Gunn Fenshaw. So for me, it was like, oh, they don't let the wrong dude in here because I ain't leaving. And so, once I got in, I just really worked hard, and people saw my work. But I, would, I noticed other people didn't work 
as hard. And mm. they almost felt like they were entitled to being there. And I would watch people fall by the wayside. You know, there's people that I started out with aren't writing anymore or, you know, completely out the business. And I always said I never wanted to be that person that talked about when he used to write in television. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to be relevant. And so because of those signposts that I've seen other, you know, people fall by the wayside and all that kind of stuff, you know, they get cocky and they never elevate their craft. I still to this day go to workshops, writer workshops and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of people still do that. I, and, and partly it's because of fear and the other side is because I love what I do. So I have those two things working for me, but I just noticed a lot of people that I was close to or that I just knew from afar didn't maintain that, that work ethic and comedy and, and storytelling. It changes every generation. It's always a new thing to discuss, a new topic that's brewing, a new social issue that's permeating our society, a new way to think of how to do things. Technology mm-hmm. changes how you do things. Um, so, the world is constantly evolving, and in your storytelling, I feel like has to evolve along with it. Same thing that we thought was funny in the 90s, people don't think it's necessarily funny in 2000. Mm-hmm. Certain styles that was funny, you know, 10, 15 years ago, in terms of performance and comedies, what they expect out of the actors and comedians, has shifted to something else. People want a little more edgier comedy. Some people want a little more social commentary in a comedy nowadays. You know, you have this gay right issues and all these things that are permeating society right now. So people want you to kind of respond to that. And that's the thing about Twitter and Facebook and that sort of thing. People are having these discussions about various different things, and they want to see that reflected, I think, in the storytelling. Hmm. And uh, if it's not there, they turn off. Well, that, I remember reading a, a story um Oh, boy, I, I can't remember the reference. I think it was even on the Apple website about everybody hates Chris and how they were they were really pushing the envelope technology wise in in how they were doing the show. Yeah, yeah, it, it was unique in how, uh, and you got to give all the credit. I believe Ali Leroy, he he had a real vision and a real smart way of how to shoot that show efficiently. Mm-hmm. We were never late. And we and you talk about a lot of setups. To this day, to be honest with you, I don't know how they got it done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but we we have we have probably twenty twenty three setups per show. Wow. Single camera. And they were never behind, never late, always on time. And it looked great. Mm-hmm. It just looked bad. And, and so he was on some groundbreaking things in terms of production and being more efficient. And I and I I try to learn as much as I can on that side, get a show on it now how to move efficiently. And mm. one of the things my dad always taught me, you know, old school parents, you know, work harder, not smarter. And I live by that model as well. And, uh, you know, and Ali definitely lived by that. I mean, he, he did some really smart things just with the look of the show and how it was edited and how it was turned around in such a quick uh, amount of time. It was, it was fascinating to watch. And it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard. It was easy. <laughs> wow! It, 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 so now, was it was it um, was it because I think they were one of the first ones. Like now, everybody's shooting tapeless, but I think they were one of the first shows that was starting to do tapeless at the time. Well, it was one of the first black shows. Mm-hmm. They they usually didn't let us do that. Yeah, let me take that back. They wouldn't let us shoot film. We were always video. What uh, everybody hates, Chris allowed us to be was single camera. Mm. Um, there wasn't there was 
I don't believe recollection serves me. I, I don't, I really don't believe there was another single camera black show out there. Hmm. Period. And so Chris sort of became the first predominantly black show that was single camera, meaning it had locations and movement and exteriors and it was shot like more like a film and less like a multi camera sitcom. And that was groundbreaking in a lot of ways. But they generally didn't allow, you know, black shows, you know, to a lot of executives wasn't worth the money in production to do so. You know, mm. we didn't have the ratings, you know, as they would say, we didn't have the ratings to support that kind of production. But Chris Rock, being who he is at the yeah. time, was able to kind of force their hand and to give him a show that looked and felt like a lot of the other shows out there. And that was, that in itself was a great, it's a small thing, but it's a big thing at the same time. And that was groundbreaking. Mm. And so, so tell me, um, you did a bunch of things like sketch kind of comedy and, and that kind of thing. And then yeah. some, some of your more recent shows, things like Weeds and Crash, uh-huh. um, you're, you're, you're getting into different types of writing. Tell me about that transition. You know, it's growth. It's, <laughs> I always, I, I equate it like that. So the younger you are, you can do multi-camera and sketch because you're silly and, you know, you think you know everything. And that, and those kind of genres are really for the dumb, edgy, funny people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, where people don't know no better. Yeah. We, don't, we don't have the common sense to know you can't say that or do that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what, and, and for me, I say this to this day, Mad TV has now, was my single most best experience in television. Wow. And, and the reason I said that because it was the hardest because I was the only black writer there for a couple of years, a number of years. And I've never done sketch at that time. Mm-hmm. And the first day I got there, they just threw me in. Mm-hmm. And I had to write a sketch for Aries and, and, and I didn't know Aries well. And we, he was the only two black guys thrown into this room. And we just, we just made a decision, said, we're going to do what we want to do. We started writing, and the thing was, because we were the only black artists there, there was Deborah Wilson and Phil Lamar as well, who were actors, I was the only black writer, we had to convince them every week to trust us and do something, because they had no real idea about culture and our point of view and Mm. the things that we wanted to talk about. So what it did was, it sharpened my instincts to know what's funny, because if I had to walk in that room and fight with these guys, I had to be sure too. Mm. And and what that taught me is, you know, knowing when it's worth the fight and not worth the fight. There was days I go, I don't know about this one. And but then there were days I go, no, we have to do this one. And nine times out of ten, it turned out to be the best decision to allow us to do it. So I gained a lot more confidence and sharpened my instincts comedically and having I felt like, you know, uh, a good sense of what's funny and how it's gonna get a response versus was not funny. And being and having to be honest, the toughest part is being honest with yourself. You have to go, oh, this sucks. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have to be able to do that. And nobody, especially a writer, right? Because yeah. he's a for everything we write is gold, baby. But you have sometimes you got to sit back and go, ooh, nah, I can't. I got stuff. I never <laughs> let nobody speak. Are you kidding? Uh, but I keep it around to remind myself of, of you know, consistently working because. The train's always moving. If you're not in shape and keeping up, you can get left behind. And uh, I had no intention of being left behind. So after I, I did Mad TV and I got older, I got married, I started having kids, my thinking started to change. And I saw the way comedy was shifting, and I didn't mm. like it, to be honest with you. It, yeah. was, it was quick jokes. It was, there, was no, there was no humor. Mm-hmm. 
especially in a lot of African American stuff, it was just set up joke, set up joke, and wacky stuff. And it wasn't, and I was going away from that. Again, I was going back to my all in the family roots, my Norman Lear roots, where, you know, I watched, I really admire how he wrote his cast, how he can develop his characters and have a couch and two chairs and two acts. And you're mm. never bored and you're never worried about, oh, how come they, they're still sitting in these chairs? You were engaged for all 27, no, 27, 27 minutes. Mm. A lot, a lot more time back then. Yeah. You never turned channel. You were engaged. Yeah. And that comes from having well-crafted, well-developed characters that were so defined that they had unique perspectives that they didn't cross each other. You couldn't take a line from Meathead and give it to Archie and vice versa. They were very distinct characters. So I, I've always wanted to get back to that type of writing. And Genji Colham, who I knew from Fresh Prince days, mm-hmm. and she and I used to sit and play dominoes and we would exchange culture stories because, you know, growing up in South Central, it was a very polar, you know, South Central was very polarized. It's just mm-hmm. black people. And you might get a few Mexicans and Hondurans flowing through. But for primarily black, the only people that was white were cops. So I had no real experience with Jewish people and different ethnic groups because, you know, until I went to college, that wasn't my, my makeup. Mm-hmm. And so we would have these interesting conversations just about the Jewish culture and black culture over a game of dominoes. Mm-hmm. And we became really close. So when she had weeks, and you look at weeks, Conrad, and the show is Conrad Shepard. Mm-hmm. He's named after me. He's based on me. Wow. And I didn't even, I got the script and then, and it came without a title page. My, my agent said, you should read this. It's pretty good. And I read it and I called him immediately and said, yo, I need to get on this show. Wow. He goes, do you know Genji Cohen? I said, do I know Genji? <laughs> so we go and do the meeting and it was like old times. We laughed wow. and, and and she looked at me and said, can you write this? I said, yes, I can write this. And we <laughs> laughed and she hired me and I was there three seasons. Wow. And that was, that was a great experience as well. She, she, she was an interesting writer because she got bored easily. Mm-hmm. And then she would make us do games and she'll say, Hey, uh, in your script, I want you to take this apple and somehow carry this apple through the whole show. Oh, that's great. I like that. Or uh, I'm going to start the word with whatever word you end your scene with, you have to start the next thing with. So if you end the, end the word with something like crap, you got to uh-huh. start the next thing with crap. Like she would give us these little things to do. Uh-huh. And what that did was really sharpen and hone your writing skills. Mm. And Gigi wasn't afraid to dig ourselves in home. If you watch Weave every, in every season, we it's, it's some sort of cliffhanger. Mm. And we would dig ourselves in a hole and, and we, you know, we wouldn't know how to get out of it. And she said, well, we got the whole summer to figure it out. And she said, bye. And that would be the end of it. And you, and especially, instead of enjoying your summer, see, her mind games were great. But instead of enjoying your summer, you sitting around all summer going, how the hell are we going to get out of That is great. <laughs> so, so just the mental gymnastics she had us go through was, was another arsenal I was able to add to my writing game. And so uh, I really enjoy writing character stuff. So that's how I ended up doing Weeze and then Crash and then House of Lies. And um, because those were things that were like, wow, you know, as an African-American writer, we don't get an opportunity to write like that. Mm-hmm. And so I just took full advantage of, of that opportunity to be able to do that. And now trying to do something similar over at BET with uh, the show I have over there now, uh, trying to write more character-driven stuff. And, you know, hopefully people would dig it. 
Well, that's a, that's a, that's a wonderful evolution. I mean, you've been able to do a lot of different styles and, and genres along the way, but, but progress in a really natural way. Yeah, well, I, I believe this. I always, because what I hated too, and early on in the business where I realized, like, if you wrote comedy, that's all you can write. Or if you wrote drama, that's all you can write. And I like, well, I like comedy. I like drama. I like sketch. I like sci-fi. If I'm a writer, I should be able to write whatever I want to write. Mm. Because I watch a variety of different things. I listen to a variety of different music. So for you to tell me I only have to write one thing means you're closing me off. You're not, you're cutting my opportunity short. And I just never subscribed to that. I mm. was really like, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Very, very cool. And that's how I feel to this day. I just do, I just do what I want to do. If I feel like writing a drama, I write one. If I want to write a comedy, I write one. If I want to write a sci-fi, I write one. Who's to say I can't? I'm a storyteller. And so you are you still like are you still writing spec scripts? Are you writing pilots? Like uh, in between your projects, are are you um, trying to get your own show, shows off the ground? Yeah, I have one here at BET now. Mm-hmm. Uh, second generation uh, with the uh, Damon and Craig Wayans mm-hmm. because they're the nephew of Keenan and Marlon and Shaw. And it's sort of you know we wanted to go for like an entourage type of vibe with that. So I'm doing that now. We'll start shooting that in October. Very cool. And then I'm, I got stuff I'm going out with. Like, yeah, I write specs still, you know, because I think it's you keep your instrument sharp, you know. Sometimes I just, you got an idea, I write specs. I'm writing shorts. Uh, I directed one a couple of years ago, got into a couple of festivals. i ready to write another short and direct that at the end of the year. And then I'm going out pitching with various people. Uh, I got something with Mike Epps we're going out with the next couple of weeks and a couple of other people. And, uh, you know, I don't stop. I just keep going. I go right to the next thing. I'm like Sam Jackson. I just go right to the next thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so, so t- tell me a little bit about um, your influences. I know you talk a, a lot about Norman Lear, um, yeah. but what what do you point to as, say, your inspiration for for the writing that you do? My inspiration? Well, like 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 either inspiration or people that have helped you along the way, or or examples that you've looked toward. You know, it, it's it, it's two people that made me, I would say, sort of put me in this space and, 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 and got me uh, passionate about what I do. And it's simple. It's always, it's always the two easy answers. Norman Lee and John Hughes. Hmm. Those are those are my two dudes I look up to, I aspire to be. The material that they wrote had a, had a, a profound effect on me. Um, Ferris Bueller oh, probably yeah. was the single most thing that changed. Still one of today, hands down, my favorite movie of all times. Oh, yeah. And, and it, cause it, was, it was simple and complicated at the same time. And so I loved anything John Hughes did. Uh, he wrote Teen Angst better than anyone at mm. that particular time in that particular decade. And Norman Lear, just because, you know, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be interested in doing this thing at all. Wow. You know, it started with him, you know, um, and and uh, his vision and the fact that he wasn't afraid to say things. He wasn't afraid to write real people. Mm. Like the people you have been, you have a real hard time writing those people now. And I'm talking real complex people. Yeah. People who may or may not be racist or stereotypical have an uncomfortable point of view or an uncomfortable perspective and having those uncomfortable conversations on television and still being poignant and still being funny. 
it takes a skill to do that. And, mm-hmm. and so I've always just been inspired by, uh, that show and all the shows that he's done from, from that to mod. And, and you gotta look at like that. He wrote one show and then it was spent off series off one show. Mod, you know, Good Times, The Jeffersons. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that all came from one show, All in the Family. Mm-hmm. Yep. And to be able to write characters that you can spin off like that is was an interesting and unique thing that I hadn't seen at that time. I don't know I was only seven, eight years old, but I hadn't seen it at that time. <laughs> yeah. it well, and, and speaks to the strength of the characters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, in, in so speaking about John Hughes, have have you ever considered getting into features or or is TV your thing? Or what do you think about that? Because you mentioned uh, directing a, a short film. Yeah, I, I've sold some movies that, that unfortunately didn't get made. I, you know, the big one, I, and I, and I tell this story, I, I went in and I had an opportunity. They was going to do Good Times, the movie. Mm-hmm. And I went in there and I, I pitched the hell out of it and <laughs> sold it. I did this. Oh, you I did sell it? The, I did sell it, but we didn't make it because of a lot of, uh, discrepancy with authorship and, and that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. I, I pitched that and the sequel and, and one wow. and one meeting and sold it right there in the room. So, you know, and that when that didn't go, that hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I kind of shied away from film for movies, but I'm I'm getting back into it now. I got a couple of things from scripts actually out there right now in consideration and I'm getting ready to write a, a, another movie probably next year. So I, I'm, I'm putting my foot back in the in the film world. Very, very cool. Well, as yeah. uh, we're we're getting close to the end of our time here, but uh, we always end with breaking in tips. And I know you've talked a little bit about um, having a really strong work ethic, but beyond that, if somebody wants to get into TV writing right now, what advice would you give them? As a writer, uh, well, two things: write, write, write. Never stop writing, mm-hmm. and don't be afraid to take criticism. Because most of the time when people are giving you notes, it's really to help the script. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but you but you have to learn to kind of go, okay, maybe this person has helped me. And in taking notes, take the notes that you think are actually going to help the script. If yeah. the notes are not going to help your script or move you in the direction you want to go in, don't take the note. Yeah. Uh, and then secondly, find your way onto a set from a, from being a PA to whatever you got to do to get on the set, get on the set. That's the best way you're going to get access. That's the best way you're going to get experience and how it works and be able to see it up close. And it's the best way that you're going to be able to have an opportunity to see scripts being developed from outline to, uh, you know, shooting. And you have a possible a direct connection to, to getting to some of these writers and picking their brain and talking to them. Like, I don't mind talking to young writers. I do it all day. Hmm. But I will say this to all the young writers. When you ask people to read your scripts, you have to be patient because what people don't understand, even though writers are working in the, in, uh, as a, you know, in the profession, they're also trying to get their own stuff done as hmm. well whether it's pitching shows or writing movies or finishing scripts or whatever. So although your idea might be the best idea in the world, a lot of times we're also working on an idea we think is the best idea in the world, which is our (laughs) own idea. So all I'm saying is just be aware of that. If somebody said they're going to read it, just be patient. Hmm. And that goes a long way. You know, it's not that writers don't want to help other writers. It's not a writer I haven't met that's not willing to help another writer. It's always about 
give us time to figure it out because we're also working on our own stuff. We try to get our own show too. Mm. So, <laughs> so, so just, just just have a little bit of patience and, and find your way onto a set. I don't care how you do it. It can be illegal. I don't care how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, to, to be honest, I, I've literally heard stories. I, I talked to somebody recently who literally was just, he saw a, a film shooting and he just drove up, parked his car and he walked up to them and just started watching until they, they said, why don't you come help out? But you have to do it, and it's the way you do it too. Yeah. Just, even if you did that, don't go up and be obnoxious. But like, like it sounded like that guy went in and he just played it real cool, and eventually they was like, "Hey, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> you know, people people respect that because here's the thing: it's tough getting in. There's not for the exception of my story. Um, <laughs> I haven't heard a lot of stories where it was it was an easy journey to get inside mm-hmm. and all of us been there even when before they smashed me out the barber shop i was a pa i was sneaking on lights i was doing the same stuff too mm-hmm. we all do it yeah. we all do it and um so don't think like you're weird because you want to do it do that you yeah. know it, it, <laughs> do it you know yeah. and just but be smart and be, be be a little more professional about how you do it. once you in be smart about how you handle it don't bombard people kind of kind of played a little bit easy and more relaxed because that's the thing too we don't like skittish people like mm. when you're skittish it's like what's what's going on but if you if you're cool and you're calm and you got a nice personality and disposition nobody's more narcissistic than hollywood people we love mm. talking about ourselves as you can tell i'm keeping <laughs> on, on this interview so once you start talking to these people and engaging them they'll start talking to you and, and telling you everything you need to know and eventually something good may come out of it or they may point you in a direction that may help you hmm. but it, it starts with having that tenacity to want to be on those sets yeah. and figuring out how to get but there's no manual or no instruction I can say do this and this will happen this town is just it's, it, you just don't know hmm. and it's different for everybody. I got smashed out of a barbershop on 43rd and Crenshaw right before the riot. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's how I got in. And, and, and so not, that's not everybody's story. Hmm. It's not going to happen that way. And, and so, A, you have to really want to do it because it's a tough, tough, tough thing to write. Because we were just saying this in the writer's room, uh, yesterday, you know, to be a writer, all you, all you really get is negativity. Hmm. You very rarely get positive feedback. Is always negative because somebody didn't like a joke, didn't like a story, didn't like a character, didn't like your perspective, don't like your writing, don't like, you know, it's always a critic. You're constantly criticized mm. all day long. And way more criticism than positive remarks. And you have to be steadfast and strong and confident in your ability to know how to navigate through all that criticism. Yeah and still remain in the game and still not lose your voice. A lot of people succumb to, well, this is what they're doing. I'll just do what everybody else is doing. But when you do that, you don't stand out. And those are people who wash out pretty quickly because they don't establish their own voice. They're just doing mm. something to, to get by and, and to, to keep a job. You have to kind of do something that's going to set yourself apart. And that's usually the, when you, it comes from somebody who discovered their own voice and have their own perspective and stay true to that. Yeah. You know, that's what makes you a good writer. So, Thank you. <laughs> well, that that is a great place to end up, and uh, I yes. r- really appreciate you taking the time. Some wonderful, wonderful tips, and uh, really inspired uh, by by your journey. In uh, and wow, just just a great career you've had, and and I wish you all the best and lots, lots more success. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks so much, Mom. You got it. Okay, bye bye. 
Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web.